0: Good morning, and happy new year to you. Thank you, that's good. We're five days in, isn't that amazing? Yes, isn't that wonderful? Five days into 2020, and I know that many of you have made resolutions for the new year, and so I know that you're well into that already in your resolutions, keeping those every day so diligently in your life, and making um, all of those promises that you have made to yourself come true. Isn't that right? Yes, we know that the shelf life of what an average resolution is three weeks. So what does that mean? Yes, you have about a little over two weeks left. Yes, that's exactly right to push through this and then it's all over and you can go back to the way you were living before. So I thought about this about resolutions, you know, and I always the first Sunday of the year, I always talk to you about, well, this year, about life, about what this year holds for us, about what God, I believe, intends for us, in, in life. And, and so we're going to step away again this morning from our study to the gospel of John, starting back next week in our series through the, through the gospel of John. But today I want to talk to you about life for a moment. And so I begin to think about resolutions. And so what are the most common resolutions that are made in our own country today that we can kind of, you know, connect with? So I begin to look at this, some statistics. I don't always give you those, but I want to give you a few of those this morning. It says that 50, 50% of all people in America today will make a resolution or made a resolution on January 1 that they will exercise more in life. I mean, that's what they say, right? They're going to exercise more. Some of you have gone out and bought new tennis shoes and running shoes and exercise clothing, and that's really wonderful because you can still wear those with your jeans and things later on when you decide not to exercise, right? Yes, and, and so uh, 49% of America said they're going to save more money. And, you, and we make that resolution because we spent more money at Christmas is what it kind of is, right? And then 43% says that they're going to eat more healthy, and, and that is absolutely wonderful. 37% you're waiting for this one says they're going to lose weight this year yeah and we're doing that why because Christmas is about food and Jesus isn't that right well it should be about Jesus and food maybe I think right but we, we know what that comes and so I looked at all those statistics and I thought there's a 50% of the American people that are missing that haven't responded and so I thought to myself that 50% that other 50% has resolved to never make another resolution in their entire life is exactly what they've resolved because they just simply can't keep them so I look what is the formal definition of what a resolution really is and I found this online google it always truth when you google things we know that a resolution is a casual promise to myself that I am an under no legal obligation to fulfill that's exactly what it is yeah and, and and so we look at it that way when I look at all of these things though in 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 all seriousness when I look at these things that there's some common threads or commonalities I find in what people are seeking as they go into a new year. And now we're actually entering into a new decade. And so what I realized that the common thread is about better life. It's about improving the way I live, the standards of my own life. It's about being happy. Well, even more than that, I think what people are searching for is that of being fulfilled. Can I tell you that the Bible talks to us a lot about fulfillment? It does. And so, in our study this morning, we will look at the book of Philippians, chapter 1, starting with verse 12 in a moment. Because what Paul does in Philippians chapter 1, he begins to talk to us about life and what it looks like to really live a fulfilled life. So he takes us to school, talking to us about life, a fulfilled life, and he does this from jail. And I think that's an odd thing, isn't it? Yes, that of all the things that, and all the places that you choose for a platform to talk to us about how to be uh, living a fulfilled life, that Paul does that from a jail cell in Rome. He's holding class on how to live this fulfilled life in existence, this complete life in the brokenness of a jail cell. And, and I think that's so powerful for you and I, because sometimes we think that fulfillment in life comes from life being perfect. And can I tell you? As long as you're involved in your own existence, your life will never be perfect. Isn't that right? Yes. I don't know. I don't know if you come with the illusion this morning that you are, but you're not. I love you. I have to tell you that. Great way to start out the new year. But it's not. So we live in this kind of delusion about, well, the fulfillment of life only comes When everything falls into place and everything is right and and all of my problems are resolved in life, but I think it's so perfect because scripture being inspired by God, written by man, it's so perfect that Paul would pin these words to you and I about living a full life. He pins this from a place that you and I would think would be devoid of life itself and that is he finds himself in a Roman jail cell. So it is Philippians chapter 1. We start reading with verse 12. And there are a couple of points I want to point out to you, all beginning with to live this morning. So it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, "'I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel.'" So what Paul is saying is he says, welcome to class, get out your pen, and your paper, get, you know, get out your, your device that you're going to take notes on this morning, get ready, and, and then he said, but take your finger off the escape button of your life, because what you need to realize is that even in those moments of your life, that God is really doing something very powerful So he goes on to say in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. He's saying, wait a minute, I have to tell you this, that not only do Christians understand why I'm in jail, but also those that are non-believers understand why I'm here also. He said that my imprisonment is for Christ. My imprisonment is for Christ. You say, Mark. On this, the first Sunday of 2020, couldn't you find a better translation than that? Because that, that, that just doesn't fit kind of with my theology. But he makes it very uh, clear for you and I that the purpose of his imprisonment is that for the purpose of Christ. And, and then we begin to kind of explain that away in Christendom. Especially in, in, in evangelicalism that we explain that well, God just allowed that to happen to him. As if somehow there are moments in life when God steps away from you and I. He removes his hand off of our lives and he kind of lets us glide upon in life without any of his input or direction or oversight or sovereignty in our life. And can I tell you, if you live in that bubble, then let's bust the bubble for you this morning. Because that is not true. That is not true. A loving God does not step away from your life when things are not going well. No, he's right there in the middle of your life, even when it's in jail with Paul. He's right there. And he goes on to say in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That there's purpose for why I'm here. You know, a very safe hypothesis that you and I can draw from this story this morning is this. Oh, Paul is just making the very best of a bad situation. That's what he's doing. So he's speaking very positive in the middle of a poor and a tough situation in his life. That his life is surrounded by very, very positive energy. You know, it's kind of deal, right? Yes. I, I want to tell you. You can surround yourself with very positive energy all the time if you want. And that is wonderful. And and I'm not saying that you go around all in the dumps and depressed. I I, I know scripture doesn't teach us that. But what I'm saying to you is you can do that positive energy thing around you this morning. And you can still find yourself in chains like this. Yes. So I begin to think about this whole story. And what it means to live a fulfilled life. And so I thought the first thing that came to mind is to live. I started with this to live is more than just making the best of a bad situation. It's more than that. Yes, because if you read this text, the unspoken thread that's refined in through this text this morning is that of joy. That we find that Paul has joy in the middle of all this. Why? Because he knows there's something up that's bigger than him. This is about the glory of God being manifested through his life. And he said, but Mark, I'm not Paul. And I know that. And neither am I, Paul. And I would never uh, try to be that you know, before you this morning. So I'm not perfect in those ways. And I'm nowhere in, in any way what he is or who he was. But what I realize is this. That God knew exactly what he was facing, as God knows exactly what you are facing within your life this morning. Understand that. God knows. And that's the point. God was never surprised when Paul is arrested. <coughs> Excuse me. God was never surprised when he's placed in this Roman jail. You see, Paul's desire was always to preach in Rome, really. I mean, that's what he prayed for in his life, to preach in Rome. And so he finds himself in Rome in a place of ministry, but it's in jail, right? So what is the moral of the story? Be careful what you pray for. Isn't that right? Yes, yes. For those of you that are out there praying for patience, stop it. Stop, okay? (laughs) Do you understand what you're doing, right? Yes, for those of you out there saying, okay, God, you just send me wherever you want to send me and do whatever you want to do. I'll be submissive to whatever words that you speak to me. Can I tell you, God hears those prayers in our lives. He really does. And I think it's a powerful thing to pray those. I'm just kind of kidding with you. But yet, here's the thing. He always wanted to be there. And he finds himself there, but yet under a very different circumstance. It is. It is. And we're not talking about this little jail in the town of Philippi where he finds himself in, and God shakes, and the jailer wakes up and is afraid they're gone because the jailer was afraid of losing his job or his own head, you know, by the leadership of Rome. We're not talking. We're talking that Paul is in Rome. He is in the prison of all prisons. He's not only there, but he's in, he's guarded by the imperial guard, the very elite of all Roman soldiers, and in the middle of what we seem to think to be a super bad situation, his life, he finds purpose. He finds purpose in the middle of all of that. If you are just living, if I am just living through this life, thinking that I'm here to just make good of a very bad situation, I'm to make the best of this bad situation, the cards that I've been dealt, then can I tell you, I don't think you're making very much room in your life for you to see the hand of God working in your heart and your life. Understand that. Yes. Because where Paul is in Rome is exactly where God wants him to be. We can't argue that. He said, my imprisonment is for Christ. Yes. Ah. Oh. Because there's no joy. There's no joy in my life or your life and we're just living life trying to make the best of a bad situation. There's no joy in that at all. Why? Because our finger is always searching for the escape button within our life. We're always searching for a way out of that and never seeing God in the middle of where we are, in the middle of our circumstance. Joy is finding an understanding of Christ being supreme and sovereign in my life even when things are not going well. yes. Have you ever thought that you're where you are today because God wants you there, because God is doing something bigger than you could ever see with your own physical eyes? Have you ever given any thought to that? Yes. And that's exactly what is happening here. Yes. And if you're just living and you're going through life just to simply make the best of that bad situation, then can I tell you, you're going to miss the work of God's glory within your life because true living is a result of living for God's glory. That's it. That's true living. It's living for God's glory. Can I give you another text? Thank you. I appreciate that. It's from the book of John. I have to go to John because we've been in John for a long time. It's John chapter 9 and verse 1. Let me share this with you this morning. John 9 verse 1 says, As he, talking about Christ, passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? This is a text that people simply debate all the time, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered him, It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Look! but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Mark, better translation, please, because we don't buy that, okay? We don't, but this is the translation. This is it. There's nothing more. There's something bigger taking place here than you and I immediately see. And then Jesus says, we. He starts at we. He's not only covering all those in that conversation that day, but he's covering you and I in this statement. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Oh, then what is the purpose of the works of Christ? What is that? It is to make the Father known through the works of the Son. It's exactly what Paul is teaching us in Philippians. Jesus taught before that in the book of John. He goes on to say, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, or meaning that means scent. So he went and he washed and came back seeing. To live this life is to make Christ known. Oh, that's it. That is it. But, but I'm not Paul. I know you keep saying that to me. I understand that. I really do. I hear you loud and clear. I say that same thing to myself. I, I, I get that. But here's what Jesus does. He spits on the ground. He makes a little clay and he takes us back to the book of Genesis. He reminds us of his work in our life. And Jesus' work in our life has always been that of molding man. That's always what it's been about. It's about growing and fashioning you and I into his likeness. So he takes us back to that moment in the book of Genesis. And what Jesus says here is this. I think perhaps the most unsaid words are the most powerful words. Jesus says, here's what I do. I lovingly, I mercifully, I providentially shape you that I may be made known. Yes, a little clay and a little spit go a long way. Yeah, that's what it is, right? Yes, that I mold you into the person that I want you to be. It's not just about you and I making it through this year and making a bad situation kind of good to struggle through this life. It's not that at all. <coughs> Excuse me. But what I realize is this when I read this text that this is about the gospel. And my fulfillment in this life and living a fulfilled life has to be connected to the gospel. That I can't read this text, whether it's that of John or Philippians, I can't read this without having a gospel edge to it. Because, listen, when I read this and I see Paul sitting in that jail cell, in my own mind, my own imagination, he's speaking these positive words of joy about where he is and how God is using him. What I realize is this, this is not about Paul being right and his cap- being wrong that's not what this is about no no He believes, yes, the gospel is truth, but there's something burning in his heart even stronger than that. And what he believes is this, and not only is the gospel true, but the gospel is the only good news for a broken world. How else, how else can you find yourself in the chains of a Roman jail cell and see the work in the hand of God in your life, not living your life like I'm taking a bad time and trying to make the best of it? How can you live with joy in your life unless you have something burning with passion in your heart, that you know that only the world can be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope for hopelessness. Something has to be inside of our hearts more than our minds, more than the truth that you and I have cataloged over the years in biblical teaching, more than every Sunday year after year after year that I come up here and I talk to you in a very loud voice because I get excited about all of this. More than all of that, there has to be something burning in your heart that you draw from that causes you to have a fervency and a passion so that when you are in those bad moments, it's more than in a bad moment, but it's an opportunity for God to be glorified through your life. Does the gospel burden our hearts like that? or are or, or we as evangelicals are we just more about proving ourselves right and the world is wrong is that what we're about and if that's what we're about then I think we're going to powerfully miss something that God has for us and that is the gospel is the only good news to the broken world and when we have that kind of joy within our life it puts an edge upon the way I live it, it changes the way I see things it puts a fire within my life and within my heart understand that nothing in this world can extinguish. It makes me desperate to show God's love in the world. That's exactly what Paul is doing. How desperate are you for the gospel in 2020? That's a huge question that we have to ask ourselves. Is there something burning in your heart and your life this morning that powers joy even when things are going bad within your life? But Mark, Man, these are tough times. Yes, they are. Have you been watching the news lately? Hmm. Things are, are, are dicey at the most, right? Yes, they are. Yes, so the, can I tell you the times in which we live, the struggles that we have in life, the uncertainty of, of the physical world around us, it's not a surprise to Jesus. Do you know that? Even he told us that these things would happen. I came, I, I, I read this verse some time ago. It was so powerful to me. I want to share it with you. It's the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. Listen, where we live today is no surprise to God, as was that of, John, uh, that of Paul being in jail in Rome. No surprise to God. But here's what he says. Jesus says this in Matthew 24 and 12. And because lawlessness will be increased. Now, if you read the whole chapter later on, what you understand, this is a chapter theologically we call about eschatology. It's about the last days. It's about the final days. And so if you read the whole chapter in context, then this is talking about the final days before the return of Christ, the second advent. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus is talking to Christians. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, he says. So what's our greatest concern in the time that we're living? What is the greatest concern? Oh, if you read this text, just glancing over, you say, oh, it's the lawlessness of our time is what it is. It's the lawlessness of the time that we live. Jesus tells us this is what's gonna, what's gonna happen. For some of you, your greatest fear or concern in these last days is that, well, you're not gonna be the husband that you should be or the wife that you should be. You're not gonna be the parents to your kids that you think you should be or, or that you're not going to be the student that you think you should be or that you're not gonna advance in your profession or vocation that, and those are your greatest fears. But when I read this verse over and over these few verses, what I realized is this. My greatest fear is what verse 12 says. Not the lawlessness part. But my greatest fear is that I grow cold. That's my greatest fear. That I grow cold. That my love of God grows cold. That my love for people grows cold. That my passion and fervency for the gospel somehow begins to grow cold in these days in which we live. Yes. Because understand this. This thing of living this fulfilled life that Paul is teaching us about. It's more than just you and I being right and everybody else being wrong. It's more than that kind of mindset, which I believe that mindset is extremely unhealthy. But I think that it's more than that. But this is about life and death. This is about the gospel. This is to realize that the gospel is the only light and darkness in this world. It's the only hope and hopelessness. It's the only thing that this world simply has that's going to save it. It's that fire that burns within you and I. But I think in this world, the most dangerous thing for all believers today in 2020 is that you and I grow cold to that. That we need to take the temperature of our own hearts. Yeah, we do. Well, we should have passed out thermometers this morning, right? Right. Yes, and instead of greeting the person, you would say, let me take your temp for a moment this morning, that we wanna see the temperature of your heart this morning for God and the gospel. And you say, Mark, this is heaping a whole lot of uh, condemnation. This is not about condemnation. This is not backing up that that, that dump truck of guilt this morning in your life and dumping all that on you. This is the challenge this morning to just do more than just make something of a bad situation within your life. Because in the middle of that, even when the circumstances around you don't always change, understand that you find joy in that of the glory of God in your life, that God is doing something powerful. And that comes about, that comes about by having something burning hot within your heart and your life. And that is a passion for the gospel to lead others, to Christ, to bring hope to hopelessness, to simply bring help to those that can't find any help in their life. And it has to be a passion in your life this year. So what's the temperature of your own heart this morning? What's your greatest fear? Yes. You see, God has really designed us, and I'm gonna use a word that, man, we use it a lot in church but but sometimes it's really used in the wrong ways, I think. And God has designed us to, here's the word, it's the F word, okay? And here it is. Now, I know where your mind went, most likely, right? Yes, it is. But it's not that F word. Understand that, right? It's the word flourish, right? It's a big difference than the other one, right? That's exactly right. Yes, but but it's the word flourish. Yes, we use it. In, in ways that I, I believe as biblically con, contextually as, as as you find it in scripture that it 's not used that way, because when we think of flourish, man, we sure don 't think of Paul sitting in a jail cell in Rome. No, what we think of flourishing is this that you hit the escape button you 're out and everything is good, and everything is wonderful in life, and everything is coming together. everybody loves me, I love everyone else, and, and everything is absolutely wonderful. No, when I realize and I look at this thing that you and I are designed to flourish in life it doesn't always mean escape as we look at Paul's life because Paul says whether I'm in chains or whether I'm free that this is about the glory of God and I don't flourish in life outside of the glory of God because this is the way that God designed me Oh, we think, you know, in life I flourish because I'm doing well in business, I'm doing well in my profession, you know, I got a raise this year for 2020, and to God be the glory for all those things, and we thank God for that because by the grace of God that you have been given those gifts, those common graces, and I understand that, but what I realize is flourishing is found in that of the glory of God. So, Mark, what you're saying is this, that I can't have a goal to be more physically fit. Is that what you're saying? Well, some of you would love for me to say that, right? Yes, Dude, I have what? <clears throat> I have five days to cancel my gym membership and get my money back so I can do that, right? And I can send the clothes back that I bought on Amazon. I can do that. And, and I don't have to have this, this goal in my life to lose weight or to make better grades if I'm a student. No, can I tell you, that's not what this is about. What I'm saying to you is those things are good and those things are well in your life, but they can't substitute the gospel in your life. But the but why they are good in your life and the way you live those things out in your life is the gospel is shown to be true to others through your lives while you're doing those even kinds of things within your life. Um, Understand this, the glorious gospel is the only hope for the broken world we live in. So I have to live a life of desperation, a full life of desperation for the gospel's sake to make Christ known. Because I want to tell you that I thought about this when I wrote this in my notes because you know in December, I was sixty one and and I know i don 't look that. I appreciate you saying that. I really do. I sensed that in the spirit from all of you in the room. I did no i 'm just kidding that 's a joke and and so and and I started sixty one so I wrote this in my notes, and i don 't know if this is a right number, but what I put down is this that that you were not created to just make the best of a bad situation for eighty five years and then die and then, when I begin to do the math from sixty one to eighty five I think I want to bump that up to about ninety or ninety five really I do, yes. I love that. That God has created me for something greater than just to kind of trudge through this world and make the best of a bad situation. Oh, I meet Christians all the time who live that way. They do. That's their mindset in life. That I'm suffering through this life for a better life And yes, some of those elements of that are true, absolutely. Yes, but can I tell you, God designed you to flourish here. But you only flourish in the glory of God. Understand that. You only flourish in this life, as tough as it might be, with a burning desire for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's why we are here, to bring glory to him. That's it. But you know what I feel in the room? Here's what I feel in this room this morning. Oh, you say, Mark, you feel a whole lot of love. No, no, that's not what I feel. What I feel is tension. Yes, I feel tension in the room because what some of you are saying is this, and you've wondered what these are for. I do this all the time with you. And, and some of you are saying, Mark, how can my fulfillment in life, you know, me me being, and I'll use the word happy because, man, we use it so much in life. And, and I think it's a word that sometimes is, lacks so much Meaning and power, because it's a fleeting emotion. But how how can my fulfillment and then God's glory? How, how can those things be compatible? How, how how can that happen? Yes, it's great tension. We find that in this story. We keep reading in Philippians one, verse fifteen. It says, "Some indeed preach Christ from every from envy and rivalry, but others." from goodwill. There's the intention, or there's the tension that some are preaching from rivalry and in envy, and some are preaching from goodwill. There's a tension there. The latter do it out of love. This is a chiastic that we talked about how Paul writes so many times, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincere uh, sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. It's very personal with him. It's not that he's making this general statement, but it's a very personal attack on him. They they say that they're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, can I tell you, relationships are a challenge. They are. It's a challenge. You have to work at it. Understand that. The sidebar for a moment. Uh, The person you're sitting next to, look at them for a moment. Do you mind? Can you look at them? You say, Mark, there's no one sitting next to me. Well, look behind you. Can I tell you, it's a challenge to have a relationship with that person. It really is. Why? Because they're not you and they're not going to do everything that you want them to do. Understand that there's tension there, just as there's tension between these things of my fulfillment in life and then God's glory, God's design for my life. So the second thought is this to live in light of God's glory and my fulfillment. How can those things be compatible? It's interesting to me that Paul writes these things. He starts writing about why he's in jail. And all of a sudden, he takes this kind of left turn on us. And he says, let me talk to you about those people that are trying to make things really tough for me while I'm in jail. That they're out there preaching the gospel out of a different heart or mindset or motive than I've been preaching the gospel. So why do people do those kinds of things? Why, why does he talk about it? Because he wants you and I to understand the tension between the glory of God and that of my fulfillment in life. Because we believe a lie. Yeah, we believe a lie. And that lie is this, that God's longing to be glorified in this life, in this world, and my longing to be satisfied, they're totally incompatible. They just don't work together. That's the lie that we believe. And we can't deny the tension. Because the more I talked about the glory of God, the more I talked about you having a burning desire for the gospel, the more I talked about how that relates into a fulfilled life, then you begin to think, but wait a minute, what about the things that I want in life? And what about the things that I want to do? And what about my plans and my agenda? And all those kinds of things. And the enemy will tell you these two things are not compatible. No. So it has to begin with this question How? Is God most glorified? How is God most glorified? Oh, thank you for asking because here it is, okay? You guys ask all the right questions. I just want to tell you that up front, okay? You're better than the second service. You always ask the right questions. So how is God most glorified? Yes, it's when I'm seeking him. It is. It's such a powerful thought. It's when I'm seeking him and I'm longing for him. I'm desperate to be fulfilled in him. That there's no contest Understand that the lie of the enemy is that they're incompatible. What scripture teaches us is this, that there's no contest between God's glory and that of me living a fulfilled life because I'm truly never fulfilled in life apart from glorifying in God and God being glorified through my own life. That I'm never fulfilled apart from that of living a life that glorifies God because God made us that way. He created us that way. That's why there is a tension in our life this morning when we talk about this. Theologically, if you want to read about it, that some theologians called it, they call it Christian hedonism. Hedonism is, uh, or being a hedonist is that of, I didn't say heathenness. okay, understand that? That's different, but, but a hedonist is a person who desires fulfillment. They look for pleasure. They're searching for pleasure. Oh, in a way, that's us, isn't it? That we desire fulfillment in life. Why, why would we make resolutions if we didn't want something different in our lives? We do. So we desire that this morning. So can God's glory and my fulfillment be absolutely compatible? And can I tell you, yes, it is absolutely compatible. Because outside of the glory of God, outside of you seeking the glory of God, and the glory of God simply being manifested through your life, you will never be fulfilled in this world because God made you to glorify him. Yes. So, what is this other sign? It's the word love. Yeah. Boy, that's a word that we really use a lot, isn't it? I love this. I love that. I love what I'm going to have for lunch today. I I love you. You love me. You know, we, we do all of those kinds of thing i love going to the gym working out putting my body through great pain sweating all the time like i love those things because it's going to bring simply change within my life we use this but can i tell you we misuse this word a lot and it becomes very cheap because we say things like i love god you know but then our actions sometimes dictate differently now there is grace and there's forgiveness and there is mercy thank god for that right Yes, because if it were not, what would happen to us? I guess we would all become crispy critters. We would. We really would. Yes. Yes. So thank God for his grace and his mercy. But when I talk about love, I want to talk about biblical love. And we find it in the book of Luke. And it says this, that you should love the Lord your God with... What does it say? It says you should love the Lord your God, right, with all... Well, well, with everything. And then it gives us some details. You love him with what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Oh, we'd like to stop there. But what's the rest? Oh, one person in the room knows that. Or they're the only brave one to say it, right? That you love the near neighbor as yourself. So that's biblical love. It involves more than just dating God. Man. Man. You know, God and I are just going out, kind of deal, right? Or we're talking. I don't know all of those terms anymore, right? I've been married for—I've been married for forty years, so I don't really know all of those terms. I don't. But we're talking. We're going out, whatever. I don't know. And and so you know, it's more than just dating God. It is. It's a love relationship with God. So how do I glorify God in my life, and then I find fulfillment in my life, and that is that the more that I simply love Him with my mind and with my heart and, and when I love him with my soul and my strength and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, that I'm moving toward God. I'm moving toward the glory of God. The glory of God is simply resident in my life. It's being shown through my life and Christ is being made known to others through my life. And when God is glorified, I am most fulfilled in life. That's a lot to think about. Because even as Christians, we struggle with this thing of fulfillment. We do. So, as I'm loving God with everything that's in me, I'm loving my neighbor as myself, I'm moving toward that glory, the, the glorifying God, and, and as God is being glorified through my life, He's being made known to others, then and only then do I find true fulfillment in life. That's it. You see here's the thing Paul knows that oh but but we need to hear that we need to. It seems like something that we talked about a lot. We, we've talked about this before here. It's not something that's unknown to us, but I think as we approach this new year that we need to remind that as we seek for fulfillment in life, and all those other things are great. Yes, absolutely. Keep those things up and keep them going as long as they're not sinful, right? Yes? Oh, my resolution this year is to sin more so that grace abounds more in my life. Can I tell you, that's not what that scripture means, right? No, no, that's not what it means. Hey, you know, oh, the more I sin, the more God forgives, so I'm just going to go out and just go on this binge of sinning in my life no that's not what this is about But what this is about is this. Those other things that you do in life, I'm not saying that you stop those things. But what I'm saying to you is this. That what you realize is your ultimate fulfillment in life, your ultimate fulfillment in life is that of God's glory. That God being glorified and the more God is glorified in your life, the more fulfilled you're going to be. So that means this. That it's not always another person that's going to fulfill your life. It's not always another event that's going to fulfill your life. It's not always a lifestyle change that's going to fulfill your life. The reality is that God is the one that fulfills your life, and all other fulfillment comes from that of allowing God to be glorified through you. Does that make sense? Good, there will be a test after, okay? Understand that. Yes, I want that to make sense to you this morning. Because the enemy is going to tell you this lie over and over throughout this year. He's going to tell you that those things within your life are absolutely incompatible. And what you need to realize is that those things are a lie, that they are absolutely compatible within your life. But Mark, you got to go back to Philippians for a moment. And let's tie all this together for just a minute you got to go back because here's Paul. He's still sitting in jail, and he's got these people out there that are his adversaries. And and so what is he going to do about that? He needs to let God break him out of jail. He needs to go out there. He needs to straighten these people out and get all this taken care of. But here's what Paul says in verse 18 about all of this is going on in his life. He says this, what then? He says in verse 18, what then? I put beside that another translation would be, so what? Oh, that's what I want. Yes, he says, so what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Why does he say so what? Because he knows that God is supreme. He knows that Christ is over all things. He knows that Christ is supreme over all things within his life. I'm not saying that you deny what's happening. I'm not saying you deny that I'm in chains today. I'm not, because that's self-deception. But what I want you to understand is this. You to realize that there's something bigger happening in your life today that you could ever imagine. And that is that after, as you move toward the glory of God and God is glorified through your life, that you are most satisfied in that when that burning desire for the gospel is in your heart and in your life, that no matter what people say, no matter what people think about you, no matter what their opinions are of you, it really doesn't matter because Christ is supreme over all things and he created you for more than just making the best out of a bad situation in life. I feel like I'm at like an Amway kind of convention kind of thing, right? And I'm pumping you guys up for sales is what I'm doing, right? Yes, I need some cheerleaders or something like that is what I need. No, under, this is truth for you this morning. That he's made you for more than what you have placed within your mindset that you are called to do in this life. This, You're not here just to exist. But you're here to make a mark for the kingdom. You're here to make Christ known to others. And that has to be burning in your heart and your life this year with great desperation. Oh. The, the, the text that I just had this in my brain. It just came to me. Say, Mark, that's dangerous when things come to you like that. I know. But no, this is actually biblical, not some other crazy things that I say sometimes. But it is back in the book of Matthew when I talked about that of, that of, of, you know, the bad things that happen in the end time and then yet we're growing cold. It also says later on in those texts that I read to you that there's going to be those that are going to endure to the end. Who endures to the end? Those that are cold? Who endures to the end? Those that are trying to find fulfillment in their own life and not the glory of God. Who is going to Who is going to simply endure to the end? Those that don't have the burning desire to simply share the gospel with others in their life and to do good and to love their neighbor. No, I want to tell you, it's the cold that will not endure. Yeah. so what's burning in your heart this morning? I think that's that's huge. What's burning in your heart? It's so, so powerful that, that Paul says, so what? He says, so what? Because God is in control, that God is greater than all of these things. Can I finish the story? Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity for you to give me that in a moment. It's verse 19. He says this, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ That this will turn out for my deliverance, he says. Now, understand this. You frame it one way or the other. He's talking about death or life now. He's not talking about breaking out. Understand that. Because he realizes to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's going to say that in a moment. So understand what he's talking about. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. By the word honored, write the word magnified. That's powerful. I looked this up. I was reading you know, some, some commentaries and theologians on this text, and, and some of them used the word magnified. I said, why do they use that word? And so I went back and I said, it was, means the same thing. It's the same word, that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, to live in the calling to magnify Christ in my life. And I thought, what does this mean? It means to cause, to be seen as great. It's not when we look at the word magnify, we think we're going to take something small, that God is very small, and we're going to somehow build him up to the world around us as, as if he's not already great. It's not that at all. Because that's... that's that's heresy to say that God is small so that's not what we're talking about but what is it, what we're talking about is that we're to make Christ look like what he really is, that he is sovereign, that he is supremely great. How do we do that? We do that by the way we live in those moments of our life that we're not living to make the best of a bad situation but we're realizing that we're moving toward the glory of God and the more that God is glorified then the more I am fulfilled in life and then people see that in our life and it simply makes the truth be known to them that God God is great. Wow. That I am called to to magnify him through my life. That Christ is more glorified in me when he is the most important thing of my life and he is the most fulfilling thing of my life. He is the most valuable thing of my life. That he is even greater, as Paul says, he's even greater than life, which, to, which is Christ. Or he is even greater than death to gain. So God, whatever you do in my life, Paul is saying, whether I live or whether I die, the reality is it's all for your glory and for your honor. Because simply that is the only way that I'm fulfilled in life. Ah. Can I finish the story? and then we pray together. I always ask you things like you don't want to tell me no, right? But I just want you to be involved here, yes. I want you to feel like you're involved. Somebody's going to stand up and say one day, no, we've heard enough. No, yes. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. There it is. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's saying. Well, listen to what he's saying. Let me keep on reading. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Do, do you know what he's saying? He's saying that if I have a choice between life and death, what does he choose? He chooses death. That's what he chooses. Because he he knows that he's he's absolutely absolutely sure. And what happens after he dies in this life? So, so there's, there's no question. He chooses death, right? Yes. How many of us, if we were placed with that question this morning, how many of us going to say, oh, I choose death? Yeah, I'm, I'm in that line? No. No. I'm not sure I would choose that, right? Let's go on reading. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, I choose death, but yet I realize that most likely the scenario here is I'm going to live, he said. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Because this is about God, the glorifying of God. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The last thing is this before we pray. To live this life always knowing that there's something more than this life. Yes. Yes. To live this life always knowing that there's something more than this life. Paul says, if I have a preference, then God, I want you to punch my ticket. I've always said it like that. I don't know why. I don't know what that means, right? Yes, but I just kind of want you to punch my ticket and I'm done. But he said, but the outcome for the Philippians that you've called me to is greater for me to stay. Because this has never been about Paul. This has always been about the advancement of the gospel. Paul, you see, he lives in the truth that there's more to this life than this life. It's the big picture. There's something greater than what he deems to be important, even his own very life. God, you you know what I want, he says. Is Is it improper for us to ever say that to God? Absolutely not. This is Paul. No. God, here's what I desire. But I do realize that there's a greater plan here for your people. So Lord, if I'm to live, then I live for your glory. Why does he say that? How does he say that? Because he's absolutely convinced that God is supreme over all things. And in that, he finds joy in chains because he knows that he's not bearing them for some momentary gratification in his life. But this is eternal. Something that outlasts this life. It's bigger. Before you leave, I want you to know this this morning. That in Christ, and I have to say that in Christ, not you your strength or mine, but in Christ you're created for something higher and something superior, something longer lasting than 85 or 95 years or even death itself. And so don't don't buy the lie, one, that God's glory and your fulfillment is incompatible because they're absolutely connected. They're one and the same. But also, don't buy the lie that people would tell you that you just have to live in the moment. God never created you and I to live in the moment, but he always, in his thinking, created you and I to live in the very shadow of eternity. Because there's more to you. And there's more to what God has called you to than just you trying to make the best of a bad situation. I hope you're encouraged by that from the Lord this morning. I hope you find strength from that today. Would you bow your heads for a moment of prayer with me and a moment of reflection this morning? Father, we today lean into you. Not to ourselves. Not to our own understanding. Because God, everything that we have shared and covered from your text today, Lord, causes us to have a pause in life to think. To look at our life. To take a moment to take the temperature of our own hearts. That maybe the great Discomfort and struggle that we feel today of where we are in life is not because of the outward circumstances, but yet it's more because of the inward turmoil and tension of our lives. That God, we're struggling with that of your glory and that of our fulfillment in life and how those things are compatible. We're struggling, God, with trying to live for you and your kingdom. But yet, we find ourselves not burning hot for you with the gospel because we realize that it is the only good news for the world. But we find ourselves growing cold at times. We find ourselves growing cold toward others. We find ourselves growing cold toward the church. We find ourselves growing cold toward those that you've called us to reach out to. And so God, you've given us a moment today to look at our lives. To take some inventory. To say that not only do I make some resolutions about the physicality of my life this year. But I, not in my own power, but through the power of Christ. Through the power and the grace of Christ I make a decision to find ultimate fulfillment in the glory of God. And from that fulfillment, all other fulfillments in my life flow. That God, you're glorified in my marriage. That you're glorified at my job. You're glorified in my class and you're glorified, God, in my neighborhood. You're glorified when I'm having coffee with others because you created me for more than just making the best of some bad situations in my life. So Father, speak to us. Speak to us powerfully this morning about your call on our lives. Not for just 2020, but from today until the day that you return and make all.